Welcome to the podcast. Join Nate and Mike, lifelong friends, as they discuss stocks and investing. The name says it all. This This is is Two Buds Buds Talk Talk Stocks. Stocks. All opinions expressed by Nate and Mike are their own. Please do not buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome to the pod. We are live. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing fantastic. Couple things I want to start off. Later right? on. I was listening to a couple of our different episodes and I got I, I, I got a little I'm gonna get a little deep with you today. All right. But then I want to talk, leave off and talk about our ETFs. Mm-hmm. And then I've got something fun. I want you to start thinking about it. Maybe we can get to the Mount Rushmore. That's four of the greatest stock movies of all time. Ooh, all right. All right, all right. Now, before we do that, here's what I was kind of thinking about a little bit is that, you know, what makes me a good investor is that sometimes I zig when I say I'm going to zag. Sometimes I change my philosophy. Um, Sometimes I'm all about doing valuation. Sometimes I'm all about dollar cost average. Sometimes I like buying a stock when it's on the IPO and I'm constantly kind of changing my my ideas here when it comes to investing and and simply put, sometimes I'm actually really contradicting myself. And I think I have one of the best examples of this. And that's going to be, I'm going to speak for myself here, Nate, where a couple episodes ago, we sold Altria. One of the main reasons you sold Altria, which is MO is the symbol, is that, you know, you didn't really want to be owning a stock that Really, their, their, their product, which is out tobacco, causes cancer. People die from cancer. You really didn't feel good owning it. And, and I kind of agree with you. You know, you and I, that's something we actually both agreed on. And we kind of sold the stock. I, I kind of was thinking also, who's going to be smoking cigarettes in 10, 15 years? But that is kind of a little bit of a contradiction because, and I'm trying to give it an example. This is a good contradiction, of course. I mean, it's positive that we wanted to change our beliefs a little bit and sell the stock. But you know, five, 10 years ago, you and I, I can guarantee if we had a pod and this pod was available, we'd be talking about how much we love Altria, how much we love that they pay a huge dividend and how year after year after year, even with the decline of smoking people, uh, the, the, the stock just keeps performing. And the point I'm getting at is that whether it's five years or five months, we've changed our philosophies and it, you know, we kind of are contradicting ourselves and, and that's going to happen in investing. And it happens for me. I hear I what you're saying. I, I hear what you're saying on that too. I mean, the same way that we're always trying to get uh, to be better investors. Part of that is changing your thesis. If the information changes, your thought process changes, what you may and may li- not like changes, but also just with our society as a whole, trends are, are, are changing. I mean, I still think that although smoking has been declining for the better part of 40 years now, year over year, there's always a, still a new market. And we alluded to this a little bit, right? Vaping is one of the things now is the way that the tobacco companies have gotten a whole new generation. And then we had things like uh, popcorn lung, and it turned out that vaping is, is just as dangerous as, as cigarettes with the amount of tobacco that's in them. And like you, at one time, Altria was probably my, and actually it wasn't probably, it was my biggest holding. I had a huge percentage at one time. I would have said Altria was probably over 25% of my my total stock holdings. And I don't even feel comfortable with a number that's that big now, but I, sh- I definitely wouldn't feel comfortable with having a tobacco or something that I consider a sin stock, whether it's tobacco or alcohol. 
being that that large of a, a portion of my of my overall portfolio. And, so that is and that's good. good. And and my whole point was is not to say that there's benefits to all trades. My point is is that sometimes throughout this pod, whether I probably do it more than you do, Nate, but there's going to be times where you know two months ago we might be saying why we love a stock, and then two months later we might be saying why we don't love that stock. So something I was thinking about, and that's a good segue where you know, we've been talking a lot about Facebook and I got to come mm -hmm. clean with you. You know, there's been a lot of, we've had a lot of negative talk about Facebook in the last couple episodes where, um, you know, you made a good point to where, you know, you didn't feel, I'll use your quote, kind of, you felt kind of icky owning that stock. And I said, you know, it's tough to own a stock where people are always trying to get off it or limit the time they're on it. But, and this is where I'm kind of changing my thesis a little bit and feel we free, we can disagree on this one that, I started to think about the benefits of Facebook, you know, and, you know, I've got three benefits. I just kind of want to throw at you. And I'm not talking numbers here. We talk enough numbers. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about the ETFs, but we've been kind of, I, including me, been kind of bagging on Facebook a little bit, but I've been thinking more and more about the positives. And it's, you know, like last year alone, the Facebook users, they donated almost $5 billion to charities. Mm -hmm. You know, that to me is a great positive for the company or whether it's a, you know, a father trying to build a strong relationship with their daughter, or whether it's a uh, maybe you have a an adult that's suffering from depression and them seeing their kids swimming in a pool on Facebook gives them hope to get out of bed. Or I'm going to, you know, share another quick, you know, story where I had someone stop me at a Walmart one time that's I'm friends with Facebook and they said, hey, I see you running all the time. You've motivated me to actually exercise, get off the couch and go running. So that's kind of why maybe you've listened to some episodes where I've been kind of wishy-washy on Facebook. It's because there are benefits to it. Um, and there's kind of both sides sometimes to a stock and, uh, I just something I wanted to get off my chest and go from there. Yeah. I, I totally understand that too. I mean, it is very, I also feel very conflicted with, uh, with, uh, some of the holdings that I have because I can almost probably do this with almost any stock in any industry that I hold, there's things that I very much like about the stock, the company, the product, but there's also things that I don't, whether it's the management or how they've uh, dealt with the crisis or, or something else. So it's never as simple as just black and white. I mean, we're not in a, in a vacuum here. So for every good, there is a negative and vice versa. And this is where, I mean, we talked about this before, the market is basically just one big disagreement. There's for as many people as that like something, there's, there's just as many that, 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 that do not like it. And when we invest, I think you would agree with this too. One of the things we're trying to do is invest in things that, uh, that we like, that we believe in, or things that we think are doing good or in the future that we want to see. And that's what makes the market a, a great place is because there always will be these differences of, uh, of opinions. I think it also makes good talk for us and good discussion, right? We're not going to agree 100% on everything. And I think that just even circling back to Altria, where we talk about we can change our position or a thesis, this is where you and I make each other better, right? You help me see things that I may not have seen before and vice versa. So I, 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 uh, I'm kind of a little bit on the might be taking a look at Facebook, to be honest. And that's again, probably contradicting myself from three episodes ago mm -hmm. with some of the benefits I've been thinking about. I do want to talk about a stock that I thought about today. And this was not kind of in part of our, uh, you know, uh, outline we were going to talk about today, but you know, my son had a swim meet today. We're done with the swim meet. We come home. He wants to see black widow, the brand new Marvel movie, which Disney owns Marvel. 
Normally, we're going to be going to the theaters. Instead, we stopped off, got popcorn, got candy, came home as a family, turned all the lights off, paid the $29.99 through Disney Plus, bought Black Widow the day that it came out for us to watch. And it got me thinking where this is what Disney wants. Disney wants me, and I did the math, and I'll be honest with you, going to the theater, AMC, spending $9 per person. There's three of us going. Right off the bat, we're at $27, buying all the popcorn. You even want to factor in gas? Go ahead. Mm -hmm. You're spending more than the $29.99. And that's not even half of it. And this is why I'm a big fan of Disney. And I know we talked about before in the on the pod is that right when we were done watching the movie, I went to the gym. And while I'm at the gym, I'm thinking, I can't wait to buy UFC 264. Mm -hmm. Do you know how I have to buy UFC 264? I've got to go to ESPN, which is owned by Disney. And I'm already subscribing to ESPN Plus, And I'm buying it for $69.99 because I get a discount because I um, have ESPN Plus. And this is what Disney wanted. This is the perfect day that they wanted. Now, maybe they'd like to, for me to sprinkle in. I, I flew to California and I, you know, go visit one of their parks or something. But uh, I'm kind of just, this was a Disney day and I'm bullish still on Disney. Well, one of our uh, things that we talk about, I mean, a lot here is the streaming media space and Disney, Netflix, and I'll throw in Amazon and Discovery, I guess now is technically is is going to be the owner of uh, of HBO and then Comcast with Peacock. Right there, we just have what five I think that I just named, and this is not something new that I'm I'm saying, but it, it bears repeating that I think the pandemic just expediated what was already happening because I don't know about you, but every movie theater I had been to before was doing the reclining chairs. Uh, nice leather sofas that the lean back, mm -hmm. you have things where you can order food, they bring it to you, you can order alcoholic beverages. And all I kept thinking is that it's this race to bring the experience that you that you get in your living room to the movie theater and the streaming platforms, starting with Netflix, we're trying to do the opposite. And who's going to get there first? Who has the best content? Because really, that's where the eyeballs are going to go. And it is just too convenient to, to not just pay for these services. They are recurring charges. They're not obscenely priced. So, and this goes right into our whole thing where we talk about once you are billed automatically, it goes to your credit card. So you're actually even working out a little better because now you're an owner of T-Pay. You're paying yourself back here, right? It either went to your MasterCard or your Visa or you used your PayPal or whatever it is or Square. So you're winning that way. And yeah, you're paying a little extra for the actual pay-per-view or for the movie. But as you said, not even just the cost of gas, of food, of everything else, but just the convenience, right? It is comfortable mm -hmm. to be in your living room on your nice sofa, your big screen TV with your family. And in today's age too, where there's still concerns about proximity with the, uh, the virus and the variants, it, this is only, it only expedited what was going to happen. So I'm not saying that movie theaters are going away totally, but I do think the experience is going to be totally different. And it's going to be more and more of this. We're going to always be talking about the day the movie's released, we're just going to be buying it on whatever platform it's on. Well, and going back to the movie theaters, and I'm, I'm going to try to talk about AMC as a serious company. I don't think I can at this point because of what's going on with the meme mania. But 
I, I there's going to be a niche for movie theaters, whether it's the teenagers that look, they're not going to them and their friends aren't going to want to watch a movie Agreed. in your living room. They're going to want to go to the movies or yeah, you want to get away right? from your parents. Right. And yeah, yes. you know, date night is the end all be all. But I do think that revenue is going to decrease. I mean, for, mm -hmm. for sure. And I guarantee you three, you know, 18, 24, 36 months ago, I would have been taking my son to the movie theater mm -hmm. without a doubt. Pre Disney plus, there's no way I was going to be doing that. I would also even say with the UFC 264 fight there, I probably, you know, I'm not buying it through ESPN Disney. So um, something I just was thinking about and I'm ready. We, this is our third installment of ETFs. Is that right? This is our third installment of the ETFs. Which, which one are we talking about today? So just to kind of do a quick uh, recap. And when I say quick, I mean, quick, we've had ETF is an exchange traded fund. It's a collection of funds. These funds cost money. That's an expense ratio. Listen to episodes 14, 13, and 12. We have to talk a little bit, yeah. For all those ETFs we talked about, we talked about um, communications ETF. We talked about a video game ETF. We talked about a um, streaming ETF. So listen to those. And we talked about the digital currency one ETF. Now, we're going to talk some restaurants. I think this is a fun topic to talk to. I think this topic is so fun. I wouldn't be surprised if this makes a two-parter, okay? Mm -hmm. Because these are all stocks that some of them we just know and love ratio. Mm -hmm. We have seen of any of the ETFs we reviewed in our three-party ETF series, 0.79% expense ratio. Why don't you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, think about it a couple of different ways. The expenses, what the management team uh, does for managing this fund. So if we want to use nice round numbers for every $10,000 you're investing, that's $79 just straight off the top of, of your money, your hard-earned cheese that's going to the, to the management team. Another way to think of that same math is if you had a 10.79% return, it's really as if you only have a 10% return after just using round numbers. That's another way to think of it. Whatever your return is, you could have added 0.79 to that. So that's very high. Anything over a half a percent these days is, is probably, I'm speaking for myself, but I think for you, I too, that's, that's getting up there. So I, before we dive into this, and maybe you'll disagree, I think they should have named this the Texas restaurant. There's a big kind of Texas vibe here. I'm going to start off with the first one. I drove past one of these today. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, symbols EATZ eats 0.79 expense ratio. The first top, the first number one holding at 5.78%, which again is very common to what we've seen in the other ETFs, except for the VOX communications one, which actually would increase when the market would increase with it. This one appears to be reallocating every month or so. It would make sense if, with the higher expense ratio too, meaning it's it's actively managed. That management team is, managed. is looking on a more regular basis, whether it's quarterly or whatever. They're probably most ETFs are usually per quarter or sometimes some are per month. I know we talked about the BUZZ ETF buzz, that one that was like episode two or three, mm -hmm. and that was actually done per month. That was a very aggressive one, by the way. So coming in number one, five point seven eight percent holding um, allocation as of july 10th chewies yes this is a texas-based brand i drove past one today 
my wife goes, let's go eat there for lunch. I'm like, it's 10, 15. <laughs> this is a little early. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the sweet spot for Tex-Mex. I actually know this place. I'm wondering if the one, there's only one that I can think of is uh, it's the one basically it's over in, in Lakewood over in that Belmar area. Is that the one that you're talking about? Or is there more than one? Mine was actually in a different area. It's a new one. This is Texas based, but it's the full blown Tex-Mex to me. I just think, and I don't know if I'm going to get hate mail. It's just a high end, better tasting chilies, right? You know, I can't even say that. I can't even say I'm really familiar with, uh, with Tex-Mex, right? But that is the whole, the whole point of this restaurant chain. I heard about this one years ago. I used to follow this, uh, this, uh, what is it? Investor, investor business daily. It's a daily or was a twice weekly newspaper way back in the day where they had their top 50 list and it was stocks that they ranked based on things like the earnings growth and momentum and for a period of time Chewy's was always on there and I'd be curious to see what their market cap is now because I want to say back in these days it was a sub 500 million dollar company so we're I'm talking, glad you brought that up yeah that's, so that's seriously small cap here's right? just going into a little bit of details here we've got a market cap of 729 million which is extremely small okay we're not even pushing 1 billion so what i'm going to tell you already about this etf feel free this is just a quick guess before we dive into it mm-hmm. they're trying they're, they're not going for the heavy hitters they're not having mcdonald's as their number one holding mm-hmm. they're not having dpz starbucks as their number one holdings we talked about this in another etf i think they're trying to have some of these smaller up-and-coming restaurants as a bigger holding so that when these grow up at a faster rate, that the ETF could potentially grow up faster with it. Some quick numbers before I get your, your comments on that. We're at 729 million, which to your point, you know, McDonald's is at what, 200 billion. There's a lot of room for this thing to grow. It hasn't even hit 1 billion. Uh, Mid cap to me is about 12 to 15 billion, which we'll talk about later when we, we get into Chipotle. One of the things that I like to do is I like to look back and see how the stock has performed against the market. So if we're talking the Chewy's went from, from 20 to 37, I don't know if that's necessarily good or, or bad, but one of the things we can do to make it more apples to apples is compare it to the uh, S&P. And although the past performance isn't always indicative of the future. It still can give us a, a rough jumping off point, especially since a lot of companies will continue. Well, and to I develop. like what your thinking is, and I, I'm really looking forward to doing this for maybe when we compare other restaurant companies, but this just also goes to show what the S and P 500, and this goes back to what we've been preaching. Sorry if I'm giving you a long answer from episodes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, that if, you it's good to keep throwing into the s p 500 whether it's the voo etf or just another s p fund because from 2012 when chewy's went public the s p 500 is up 214 percent yeah and right now is is what you said basically 30 from 20 to 37 or well it's actually up um chewy's would actually technically be up 105 percent because if we go back to when it really went public down here, um, you know, when it first went public, opened up at around $22. And then mm-hmm. now here we are trading it at $36. But it, it does go to show here that it is a little bit more of a volatile, you know, stock that 
um, you know, it, you know, it was crushed in, in 2000, just like a lot of other companies were as well too. It had a little bit of a bumpy ride in 2000 in the mid of 2017, 2019. Um, so who knows if it's ready for a breakout. I kind of am a little bit skeptical with this ETF already that we're, we're this is the number one holding. I, I personally would have probably would have felt more comfortable if they had maybe a little bit better known of a company like a McDonald's or like a Domino's, which we've talked about and so forth. Now coming in at number two, I think that's a good uh, talk about Chewy's. And I'm going to let you take this one over is going to be Texas Roadhouse. Yes. Give me your thoughts on this little, little story time with Nate. Yes, I, I am a owner of Texas Roadhouse. Again, how we differ in uh, investment styles and, and ideas and thesis too. Didn't do any research on Texas Roadhouse other than I was listening to another podcast with an interview with the former CEO and founder of uh, Texas Roadhouse, Kent Taylor. He, he recently passed away, but it, it was an interview where he was just talking about he liked steaks, steak houses, and he wanted to start his own. And it's a real candid interview where he talks about uh, some of the mistakes that he's made along the way and the things that he did well and could do better. But starting with, he opened his first location was in Texas, but it was in a strip mall or in an actual indoor mall. And that's one of the first things that he said he found is that it was cheap real estate space to lease, but there's not a lot of people that really go inside a mall to a sit down restaurant. So he found that standalone locations work better and started in looking into buying the real estate because that had value. But some of the other things that he talked about doing was one of the biggest costs for a steakhouse is the cuts of meat, right? You have your T-bone, you have your filet mignon, whatever it is. And he thought, why can't I just do this myself? So made the investment and, and, the expenditures for the CapEx to buy all sorts of machines that, that cut the beat. And then he learned how to do it, trained his people. So now at every Texas roadhouse, they have a huge cost saving just because all the cuts of meat are made in-house. So not only does it save, but it's also fresher, fresher meat that way. And then my favorite one was dessert. I've eaten at Texas roadhouse. I'm not a huge one. And I never really thought about this, but they don't have a dessert menu. And so the reason is it's because he doesn't want people sitting around eating eating desserts, drinking coffee, chit-chatting when there's other people in line that will be buying the more expensive items, the steak, right? Low margin in those desserts. So his thought was, you know, eat your steak and then just get out. So those are some of the things that really made me like Texas Roadhouse. I made a purchase in it a few years ago. I do like that. I appreciate that, Nate. It's always good to have a little bit of a feedback when you're um, purchasing a stock. I want to go in a little bit of the numbers. All right, let's get a little detailed here. Um, TXRH is the symbol. They went public October 5th, 2004. Let's compare them to the S&P 500. I'm going to be the first one to admit I was dead wrong. We talked about Chewy first. I really didn't like some of the numbers just at a quick glance what I was seeing, how small the company was, how much they've gone up 105% since their inception. I, I kind of like to see a little bit more. I thought Texas Roadhouse, I'll be honest, I thought it was going to be a little bit of a dud. It wasn't. They went public, opening up at $11.23 a share. Now they're trading at $96.56 a share. If you had $10,000 that you put into Texas Roadhouse when they went public, 
you would have $103,600 compared to the S&P 500 at $52,711. And that's factoring in dividends. Now, Nate, we don't talk about this too much. So I want to apologize to the audience here. When it comes to me, and maybe I'm old school, I look at it when I get dividends, I reinvest 100% of the time. Again, that might change you know, in the future, but I reinvest 100% of the time. How do you, not to get off topic, how do you handle, handle your dividends? I invest all my dividends, but I do it a little different than, than you do. There was a time where we did it exactly the, the same way with the, with the drip. It's called a dividend reinvestment program. Your brokerage just allows you to sign up for that. And the brokerage account takes care of the rest. It'll just take whatever dividend you get and it'll reinvest it back into the original whole thing. That's what I do. Go ahead. That's what I used to do. But again, as I've touted, the uh, the whole idea of fractional shares was a was a game changer. And although the drip program still reinvested fractional shares, I just changed it up a little bit and I elect to get my dividends in cash. So I just get straight cash. So when the dividends paid, I see the cash in my brokerage account. What I would do is take a piece of that cash and I will put it back into the original holding, but then I will take the other cash and I will distribute that to other companies that I like. And the reason I do that is just because to me, it's a, a way to add to the flywheel, the, the compound effect and, and spread the wealth and hedge my, hedge my investments as well as get a little more diversification. But the idea is the same. You and I both agree that all dividends are, are being reinvested in some way or another. Well, and, and, and I think, I think that's great information. Um, and that's, Going back to our common theme, you know, I'm not trying to sell you how I do things and you're not trying to sell me how you do your things. It's good to hear different perspectives. I know Opa the Oracle actually takes the cash. Uh, side note there. This is also so, too, I mean, I might do that at some point in time too. It's always nice to have options, right? Yep, absolutely. I'm still all about the dividend. I, I don't know if it's, a, it's that's a, and we could do maybe a whole episode on this of investing in the market and the psychological aspects of it. Mm -hmm. That's a big psychological part for me. It's something that we, we, we've, you know, butted heads on a little bit. Um, let's just pick a random stock that doesn't pay a dividend. I don't know, maybe Disney. That <laughs> I just am so accustomed to getting paid to wait. You like it that a Disney, Amazon, Netflix, Google, none of those pay dividends and they take that money and they reinvest it in the company and for me, psychologically, there's something about that being paid to wait for the stock to come up. That's why I like the drip. Um, if that the license plate was still available, I would take that. That's how much I like it. Well, but let's move back, on a little bit. Go I was ahead, just going to say, ahead. this also is the thing too. We talked about this before. I mean, I've been told I'm a, a, a Buffett basher here, but this take actually came from, from Buffett that I liked is this, that when you think about what dividends are, you're being taxed twice, depending on what account you have it in. If it's an individual account, not a retirement account, you decide to keep that cash. You have to pay taxes on it too. The company itself, when they pay their dividends, they have to pay corporate tax on it. So it was Buffett that brought this to my attention. 
the reason why Berkshire doesn't pay a dividend is because it's a, a double taxation. He always thought that he could do better reinvesting the, the money into the business or into other companies. So yeah, to your point, with a lot of growth companies, they're not at that stage anyways to pay dividends. But I also like to see that they're taking that money, reinvesting in the in the business, whether it's other forms of buying back shares or just new technologies or streamlining efficiencies, whatever it is. Here's the thing. I'm excited here, Nate. You want to know why I'm excited? I found a stock that is giving Texas Roadhouse a run for its money, and it's not even close. And they are destroying Texas Roadhouse tenfold with how much they've gone up. And we're going to talk about the stock for a while. This is one of the best performing stocks in the last 10 years. It's not even close. We oh, can go back to their I, I, I know just based on this, we've talked about this before. It's got to be. I do not DPZ. own it. My DPZ? nine-year-old son owns it. DPZ. DPZ. Yes. Domino's, Domino's Pizza. And, and, and let's, this is such a big, we're going to have to just move on from Texas Roadhouse because it's not even close. It's like comparing NFL to high school. All right. So let's talk a little DPZ. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a background. I'm going to start with where they where they're when they went public. DPZ is the symbol. Dominoes. They are such a good stock. It, my nine year old didn't even say I want Dominoes. He said DPZ. This is this is one of these stocks that you and I have been talking about for years and years and years because of how really fantastic they've been with Dominoes. So I'm going to throw some numbers. Let's compare it to the S&P 500 since their inception. And then I'm going to get your thoughts on this and really your thoughts on where you see this moving forward. They went public. It looks like, let's take a quick look here. Um, Domino's went public in July of 2004. Okay. So we're going to look back. Let's just first start. We're going to go back to 2004. Let's go big boy. We're going to compare this to the S&P 500. What do you got, Nate? Dominoes or S&P 500, which has performed better since July of 2004? I'm sure you could pick any time frame with Dominoes. And when you're looking back and it is going to be Dominoes all the way that is it's crushed it. I mean, I'm guessing it's not even close. I mean, so when you had, and there's a time frame of what made Domino's so special is, and this is a good thing to think about, and we're going to go in a little bit down memory lane here, is that, well, forget it. I'm all over the place. I'm just so excited with these numbers here. I can't contain myself. Since two, July 13th of 2004, if you had $10,000, you put in the S&P 500, that $10,000 turns into $53,679. That's a good rate of return. That's looking at a 437% rate of return. And guys, that's nothing to sneeze at. This is what we've been talking about. If you get overwhelmed where we're throwing steakhouses and ETFs and uh, Comcast and DPZ and Disney, and you don't know where to put your money. If let's say since 2004, you're putting your money in the S&P 500, you're up 437%. That's nothing to slouch at, okay? Mm -hmm. DPZ. Since if you put $10,000, you're looking at $735,952. Okay. 
Okay. That's 7,255% dominoes is up from 2004 and 2021. What makes me really like dominoes, and then I'll put it back on you and why I still haven't invested in them. And this is that psychological part. I'll be the first one to admit, Nate, why I haven't invested in dominoes over all these years is I keep thinking, well, it can't keep going any higher. I was saying that at 195, at 210, 220. This is an example where you would dollar cost average mm -hmm. DPZ. Now, here's the thing. Do you know, I'm putting you on the spot here. There was a lull from 2000. And I don't want you to think you put your money in 2004, come 2011, you've got a 10 bagger on your hands and the stock's just crushing it. No, 2008, trading at $13. It opened up at 13.50. Trading it in 2009, $8 a share. 2011, $15 a share. 2012, $33 a share. That's really nothing to, to look at either. It wasn't until they fired their CEO. I don't want people to lose their jobs. They fired their CEO. They got a brand new CEO. He turned around the entire company. And essentially from really 2016, when it was trading around 130 to current, it's been on, on a complete and utter tear. Your thoughts I mean, on Domino's? That's when they really, I mean, they started their, their whole uh, campaign to um, to change the pizza they made. And when that time when Patrick Doyle took over, this is when they said our pizza is not good. We want to make better pizza. And they did all these ad campaigns. And since then, it's been on a turnaround. I will say this. I was just thinking of this. And earlier on, you were talking about uh, AMC for a second. And this is a weird kind of comparison. But you were looking for a way to talk about a meme stock. And I can do it a little bit with DPZ is at that time, DPZ was a turnaround stock. It was deep value, Great. dirty value or whatever. But you just mentioned when it was $8.50, it was probably $8.50 for a reason. One, and first and foremost, their pizza was not very good. Their management was not good. So they cleaned house and they brought somebody in. So if you believed that Patrick Doyle was the guy and had the right idea on how to turn around Domino's by re- designing the, the pizza, all the ingredients, and you, you thought that that would happen, $8.50 would have been a good time to get in. But also there was plenty of people that said, I don't know, Domino's, this pizza has not been good for a long time. I don't think it's going to happen and maybe stay away. So the comparison is this is what happens with meme stocks, at least in the case of AMC and GameStop. Both of these companies, I would say, are in turnaround periods. We talked about the movie theater. Is it going to look like it once did? If you believe that movie theaters can turn it around, then maybe this is a good price. If you think that GameStop can change their business model from in-store to online purchases, then maybe this is a good value. This is the great thing. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. You can just stay on the sidelines and to the point of dominoes. Here we are all these years later, and you and I are talking about why didn't we ever get into dominoes? Can we get into dominoes? Here's the one thing I found. Good companies that perform well, they continue to perform well. So the management team, I mean, is still in place. I should say Patrick Doyle left, but I mean, those that, that were under him are now running the show. So I think that Domino's continues to do well over, over the foreseeable future. And I look, I'm not a Patriots fan, but to me, this is as good of an example of Patriots pre Bill Belichick was losing not making the playoffs. I mean, again, in 2008, $5 a share dominoes. 
They get new management. Patriots get Bill Belichick. They win all these Super Bowls, blah, blah, blah. That's enough Patriot talk for me. It's the exact same thing. You put the right management in this company, and then all of a sudden you're at 104, 122, 244, $336, $457. And here's the other thing I really like about DPZ Dominoes. Again, I don't own it. Do you own it? Like you, I do not. Uh, one of the boys owns it in, the, in their portfolio too, but I just... I got to a point where I, my, my portfolio, I haven't added any new stocks, but maybe I'll take one out someday and then I'll put it in, but I don't own it either. Well, and here's the thing that, and this, I don't have the numbers to back this up, right? This is not a number thing. This is just my gut. We've talked about Uber. Mm -hmm. We've talked about um, Grubhub and you, and I'm going to paraphrase what you told me, essentially mm -hmm. Grubhub, you do a $38 order when it's all said and done, you pay the restaurant you pay the driver, you pay all this other stuff. It's Grubhub's DoorDash. getting like Door, DoorDash. DoorDash. Yeah. Same idea though. I mean, Grubhub is probably the same yeah. deal too. And that's fine. I mean, it's the same thing. At the end of the day with DoorDash, they're making a dollar on a $38 purchase. People have been delivering pizzas since the movie ET came out. Okay. Pizza delivery. Cause I remember that famous scene when they're delivering the pizzas. Remember that around the kitchen yeah. table? Probably People before. Been delivering that's right pizzas forever and i could see it where 10 50 and i could be wrong 10 15 20 years down the line i'm wrong a lot of the time uber fades out because it's not a profitable company doordash fades out all these companies fade out and you've now got dominoes which essentially is the it's been a generational they're the first delivery food company of all time was the, the pizza business right I mean, there's no shortage of um, places, whether you're talking the chains like Domino's or Pizza Hut that deliver. But I mean, even most mom and pop places uh, deliver. And maybe that's where the niche now is that they can do it even more easily with something like a DoorDash or Grubhub or an Uber but, Eats. But that's a main, I would say the two Chinese food and pizza are, are staples of what you think of with delivery food, right? And here's the thing, forget the actual pizza is being delivered. It's that the margin when Grubhub delivers your food, they didn't make that food. They don't own the rights to that food. When Domino's delivers the pizza, they're the ones that own the dough, own the ingredients that make the actual item that they are delivering to you. They own the car probably. Well, they, you know, they pay the driver. But the point I'm getting at, that's why I'm, not, I'm very bearish when it comes to Uber and DoorDash and companies like that. After what you brought up to me is that, they're not delivering the product that they made that they're going to make a huge margin on. That's where Domino's is making is, is turning that around. And I, I think it's really impressive to me. They're more impressive than Texas roadhouse. Well, one of the run that they had, one of the things that Domino's does really well too, is they built out their own app. So, I mean, some people call them a technology company because I mean, here you're thinking of a food thing and they built out their own app. They've used it in a way where, it's very integrated with the user experience. You, you can save whatever pizza you want. You can watch your pizza. It tracks as it's being made when it gets to the delivery driver on the, on the road. So it's easy. They also have all sorts of things with coupons and they send them out. So they'll target a cer certain area. So maybe they just want to do a, a, a deal on a lion pizza with pineapple and ham. So they'll just send out a bunch of coupons to an area knowing that it's 
there's a certain number of people that are always going to do it. So what they'll do is they'll already just know based on the area that they put those coupons out in that there's going to be some people that order it. So the local locations and that the deliveries would go to are already going to make five, 10 of those pizzas, the Hawaiian ones or whatever. They're just going to have them under the heat lamps ready to go. So knowing that somebody's going to come in and order the medium or the large or whatever, it's already done. So boom, it's out to the delivery driver. So this is the stuff that they've done with all the data they've collected with people via the app, knowing that their eating habits, when they're most likely to do it, who's going to respond to coupons. So again, it's almost downright scary how much uh, Domino's knows about uh, their customers' eating habits. And to that point, well, why would they ever started partner? up next to Starbucks, um, you know, I was going to say, I can just remember you and I talking again, many conversations in 2008, uh, our first real bear market recession and everything going down. And we talk all the psychological aspects, but again, the same way of thinking you missed it on the way up, on the way down, there must be a reason it keeps getting lower and lower. The world's going to end. And when it was $9, I can remember you and I having a conversation and, and both of us thinking, $9 for Starbucks? Are we, are we really, is we going to stop drinking coffee? Is everybody going to stop? But I couldn't, I couldn't pull the trigger on it. And these are the things that, that I have learned from. But I just think that Starbucks, of all these companies that we've talked about, this is the one that almost seems like, are you an owner? Because you talked about companies that have very consistent cash flows that do their thing, do it well, and are easy to value and, and, and project cash flows going to the future. Do you own this? Because this is one that I feel is, is in your wheelhouse as far as a, a good staple you position. Know, I, I don't own Starbucks. And, and maybe it's because of, and again, here's the psychological part. And then I would like to, to talk about it. it. went public in 1992. This was the stock of the 90s and still mm -hmm. was a stock of the 2000s. Quick little story here is I actually had, a, when Starbucks was in the single digits, remember it went public at $1.25 a share to put things in perspective. So even when it was trading $8 a share, that's still, you know, 10, a 10 bagger right then and there, or like a, a, an eight bag, bagger, excuse me for being technical, that there was a time where I was actually going to take a lump sum and you want to talk about comparing things. And I was going to throw it all on Starbucks, but instead I used it for an engagement ring to propose to my wife <laughs> for 15 years. So I'm glad I went the engagement route, but I, I literally was doing the math of like, do I propose to my soon to be wife or do I buy Starbucks? And I'm being, you know, sorry if I'm peeling back the curtain a little bit too much. And after I kind of proposed to my wife, I just kind of psychologically moved on from Starbucks. I'm not saying it's a good move. And I'm sure if I dollar cost average, or I'm sure if I bought back, there would have been plenty of opportunities. I just kind of looked at that as a, as a crossroads with Starbucks mm -hmm. and I moved on and that there's always kind of a, uh, um, a, you know, I'm always just kind of a, a comparison between the two of them, to be honest. So I don't own it. Sorry for the, the long story, but I was reading a Guns N' Roses biography about Duff McKagan or Duff McKagan is a bass player for Guns N' Roses. And in 1994, and I did double check my references here, he took a hundred thousand dollars and split it between Microsoft and Starbucks. So let's just do some quick math. Now, when you take Starbucks and compare it to the S&P 500 from 1994 to current, 
The S&P 500 is up almost 1,100%. So your $10,000 invested in the S&P 500 give you $120,945. Starbucks is up over 11,000%, 11,000%. Can you comprehend that? That's like trying to comprehend how many stars are out there, okay? So you take your $10,000 as an example, comparing it to the S&P 500, you put that in Starbucks, you're at 1.1 million. I'm doing the quick math that if Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses split that, put $50,000, you'd have almost more than $5 million in Starbucks just by keeping it. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking then that's probably, it's closer to five. Five point seven million. I'm thinking based on that fifty fifty thousand dollar investment. I wonder if he dollar cost averaged it at eight dollars a share back in two thousand and eight. Probably not. But it's funny you hear all these rock stars getting you know uh, restaurants and uh, car washes. I don't think any of them could have had an eleven thousand percent gain. So here's another thing I on think, that too is just to talk a little bit about uh, dividends to to tie this all back to dividends and whether reinvest or get in cash this is also something to think about too so his initial investment is fifty thousand dollars we said if he reinvested mm-hmm. all those shares along the way right now and starbucks pays a quarterly uh, dividend they pay in february may august and in november so every three months his quarterly dividend right now on that $50,000, if he reinvested, is 22500 So just based on the next quarterly dividend, it's a 50% return on his initial investment, if I'm doing the math right. So every Here's year- Here's what I wonder. That was in a quarter, right? That's the quarter. So that's only one. So he gets okay. four of those payments a year. So let me ask you this. One quarter- He's getting $22,000. let us say, let's do a hypothetical here. He's getting $22,000 in dividends from Starbucks if he held on. Do you think the royalties in any given quarter from Welcome to the Jungle, Guns N' Roses are paying more in one quarter than $22,000? Which one is outperforming the other? Ooh, I like this. I got to think with... Um, having a deal with, uh, with Axel and the management team, uh, and everybody else that it's probably not split, uh, totally even anyways, when it comes to royalties. So I'm going to say that the Starbucks dividend, I mean, he's probably, he's I, I would agree. Cause it's something like, what are you getting? Like, uh, 10% or so, you know, 10 cents for every time they play it at, at a concert. And what's funny is that slash the guitar player for Guns N' Roses and Duff McKagan actually sued Axl Rose over the royalties. So you got to factor in lawyer fees into all that. I bet you Starbucks is outperforming it. I mean, he makes here's a would you rather. Yeah, wait on me. Would you rather? Mm -hmm. Would you rather have 5.5 million dollars in Starbucks as of today? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather have a quarter of Guns N' Roses royalties for the rest of your life. I feel like uh, just based on our whole thing with valuation, it'd be a lot easier to check the uh, the cash flows of Starbucks as compared to that. Plus, as you just alluded to, you'd always have to deal with Axel uh, Axel Rose in some <laughs> regard, right? So I think I'm taking Starbucks any day of the week. 
Well, I think that's awesome. I would actually just to be diversified because I already have so much exposure to the market and stocks. I probably would take the Guns N' Roses. I'd take the quarter of ownership in Guns N' Roses. <laughs> that, that you are right, though. You do have to deal with the other members of the band. Steven Adler always coming out of the woodwork and stuff like that. So, Nate, and this was my worry, is that I, I think this is going to be a two-parter of our three-part series on ETF. So this is going to be a two-parter for the Eats, E-A-T-Z, Restaurant ETF. I got to say, um, this is probably the one ETF we've talked about that is I'm least excited to put my money into, but this is the ETF I'm most excited to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. So I got a new game for you and the listeners. All right. Uh, the stocks we've talked about, and I'm just going to narrow it down. Okay. Starbucks up 11,000%. Domino's up 7,000%. Texas Roadhouse up 500%. Okay. Here's the thing with all three of these, you've got to pick one that you're going to jump in the pool with. That means you're buying it. Mm-hmm. You got to pick one that you're going to take out the trash with. That means you're selling it. And you got to pick one that you're going to pause the movie on, which is you're holding it. So which one are you taking the trash out with? I guess, uh, you know, my first thought here was I only own one of these. Or I actually own two. I own Starbucks and I own Texas Roadhouse. So I'd hate to throw out one of the two that I actually uh, own, but I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm gonna hold Starbucks. So I guess I'm, uh, what is it? I'm hitting the pause button on uh, Starbucks. <laughs> hitting the pause button on Starbucks. I'm, uh, I'm, actually, I'm going to reverse this. I'm going to change because I can do this. I'm going to hit the pause <laughs> button on Texas Roadhouse. I'm taking, I'm taking out, taking out the trash on Domino's just because I don't even own it. And then I am, uh, I'm jumping in the, the, the pool with, uh, with which one haven't I done? Starbucks. Starbucks. There it is. Yes. So jumping in the pool, Starbucks, taking out the trash Domino's hitting the pause button on Texas roadhouse. I, this is the psychological part. Again, I, I kind of feel like I was at the crossroads. Was not that you asked me, but I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> okay, I think I'm taking out the trash with Starbucks because I again, it's the weird. I went the route of proposing my wife. I'm just not going back to Starbucks. Not saying they're a great company. I already given them enough money as it is. Did you know? On a quick side note of Starbucks, and this is one of those great mysteries in life. There's not enough coffee beans in the planet to actually produce as much coffee that Starbucks makes. Yeah. We've talked about this on one of the past episodes, right? This was, this made news. This is interesting. Well, it's just something that you don't research. You just let it be. Okay. That's right. Um, I'm going to take out the trash on Starbucks. I'm going to pause the button on Domino's and I'm going to jump in the pool with Texas roadhouse. All right. And this was our two parter. Nate, I want to just throw a little bit of a shout out and then I want you to tell people how they can get a hold of us. I, I really, I say this, you know, we joke around on this pod, but I really do appreciate all of the support. United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Portugal, Sweden, Vietnam, Switzerland, Russia, Australia, all those places people are listening to. Let's go within the United States, Colorado, Virginia. Florida, New Mexico, California, Texas, Texas Roadhouse, 
Wyoming, New Jersey, Ohio, New York, Illinois, Indiana, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, Washington, Arkansas, Oklahoma. It's like the license plate game. We're getting them all. Appreciate everything. Appreciate all the feedback. Nate, how can people get a hold of us? You can reach us on email at gmail, twobudstalkstocks at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. Leave us some feedback there at twobudstalkstock. Instagram, we also post some pictures from time to time at Two Buds Talk Stocks. And if you listen to us in a format that allows you to leave a review, please do so. It helps muff us up in the algorithm and new listeners can find us. And again, as Mike said, I'll echo that. Thank you for all the support. If you have anything good, always drop us a line. If you have anything bad, also drop us a line. We're always trying to get better. Thanks, everyone.